Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hello and welcome to the On Deck Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Podcast Network. I'm your host, Bob Osgood, and today we have an exciting episode lined up for you all, focusing on the Red Sox farm system. Let's dive right into it. Joining me today is Matt Collins. Matt, what's going on? Not too much. Excited to talk uh, prospects and not what anything that's happening with the major leagues today. Nope. That sounds like a nice, nice thing. Stay away from that for a couple of days, I agree. Uh, also joining me, Jake Devereaux. Jake, what's happening? Good to talk to you. What's going on, Bob? It's been like a, a week since yeah. we've talked, so um, yeah, it's nice. We're keeping up a, a little bit of a rapport here. It's yeah, good. not bad. Well, yeah. Enough pleasantries. Uh, we're going to take a look at some of the top prospect assignments at each level today, uh, kind of look at things at a high level, and then dive into a player that each of us has an eye on this season, and at some levels maybe two players that are interesting. Uh, we'll go through uh, the Worcester Red Sox and Worcester Mass at AAA, Portland Sea Dogs at AA in Maine, uh, the Greenville Drive at High A in South Carolina, and Salem Red Sox at Low A in Virginia. I thought it'd be good to start, though, with three players that seem to be at the top three in just about every Red Sox prospect list that you look at. They seem to kind of be a cut above, and I think that Either way, people are going to want to hear about these three players, um, so we'll kind of separate that at the beginning. Um, starting with Tristan Cassis and Jake, entering the season, what were your expectations for Cassis, and has any of that changed in the first couple weeks of the season, whether that's the player or what's going on at the major league team and kind of your outlook for, for Cassis this season? Well, my expectations for him, I guess I'll start there, were that um, he would continue to improve on the offensive performance that he showed last season. Um, you know, last season he he jumped a couple different levels. He 
was at double A and then he finished the season at triple A. He also had the Olympic appearance uh, squeezed between there. Um, one of the things I liked to see from him last year that we did see was he was still walking a ton. Uh, that walk rate stayed pretty much steady. Uh, and his strikeout rate stayed pretty much the same at both levels. It was about 19% at both levels. Uh, he hit for power at both levels. Um, and the defense is pretty good. So, you know, the guy's kind of the whole package. And what we're seeing here in the early going is is much of the same. Uh, to start off the season, he's got three home runs, a 17.2% walk rate, striking out just 19%, which is typical for him. And uh, high OBP, 379 OBP. So he's kind of doing everything. I'd like to see him dominate that level a little bit more. Um, To be truthful, I think that he could post an even better batting average than the 239 that he's sporting right now. I think there's some potential for him to get hot. And I would love to see him push that slugging percentage uh, up into the 500s. Right now it's 478 over the last... A couple of levels last year, he was uh, right around 485. Um, So I think there's more growth there in terms of power. He doesn't focus on power very much. He's talked about that a lot. You know, he's not looking to always destroy the ball because, you know, as he said, he's he's a big enough guy that he really doesn't have to. Um, But we have seen what happens when he gets a hold of a baseball. It goes about 500 feet. So um, (laughs) it's pretty absurd. Uh, I am expecting him to make the major leagues this year, though. He doesn't have a ton left to prove at AAA, and uh, Mr. Dahlbeck might not really give uh, give much reason uh, for him not to be called up because Dahlbeck has a WRC plus under 50 right now. So uh, Casas could probably pretty easily come up and, uh, and beat that. Um, so I expect him to debut somewhere around June. Yep, and with Dahlbeck, you and I were on opposite ends of the spectrum going into the season, and you've been right about that so far. Uh, And I don't think that Travis Shaw is really providing much of a platoon over there from what we've seen. So I think, you know, we'll probably start to hear people asking that question if they haven't already when we're going to see Cassis. Oh, they've started already. Yeah, (laughs) fair enough. Um, And everybody wants to see the next big thing, and we... We're looking for that last year with Jaron Duran, and sometimes you just need to make sure that the player is ready or, you know, with catches, maybe we just need to see for a couple of weeks whether he's ready. But you're right, the walk rate is just ridiculous. Um, you know, 19% when he got to AAA last year and 17% this year. And it's, you know, at the very least, he's going to have a good eye up there. It'll be interesting to see if he carries that over uh, to the major leagues. Um Matt, looking at Marcelo Meyer, um, the most recent first-round pick, dropped to number four. Uh, in your opinion, is this the, the best prospect in the system, uh, or is that Cassis? And kind of what are your expectations for Meyer? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think I would probably go... Um, I'd probably go Casas just because I value... Um, not just the closeness to the majors probably a little bit more, but I mean, if you're looking at pure upside and what the best reasonable best case scenario for both players is, um, I mean, it's Meyer and I don't even think it's particularly close. It's, um, he's the most exciting player in the system. I would say just because of, I mean, it comes down really to positional value with him versus Casas. He's a shortstop and he's a guy that should stick at shortstop. He's 
a really good athlete. He's got the arm to play on the left side of the infield. He's got the instincts. He's got the makeup to stay there. Um, and he's got the kind of bat that can turn into an all-star kind of player on a consistent basis. Obviously, he just got drafted last year out of high school. He's going to be 19 this entire season, so we're not putting the all-star tag on him um, with any sort of uh, certainty at this point. But he's got that full package, and right now we're seeing his full season debut Um he hasn't been totally lights out. There's hasn't been a ton of power. He's striking out maybe a little bit more than you would like to see. But again, I mean, this kid was in high school at this time last year, and now he's playing full season ball. And I kind of look at um, the season we saw last year from Nick York, uh, who we're going to talk about in a second. And obviously he ended up having this huge breakout and put him in all every single top 100 list and top 50s. Um, but the start of his season was sort of an adjustment period where um, he was fine, but he wasn't great, and that's sort of where Meyer is right now. He's got a 135 WRC plus. I don't really look at WRC plus for the minors too much, but he's been hitting well because he's still drawing walks. Um, he's putting up good at bats, and when he's making contact, he's doing good things with them. It's been a lot of singles, but he's hitting the ball hard. He's hitting the ball on a line, which is kind of what you want to see. So um, it's going to be a few years. Obviously, he's like I said, he's only 19. Um, he's got to grow up a little bit physically. Um, but if everything progresses how people expect, I mean, this is a guy who, like I said, could be a multiple-time all-star, can stick at shortstop and have an above-average bat. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I would still take Costas ahead of him just because of how close he is to the majors. But if Meyer hits his upside, I mean, this is a top-flight player that the Red Sox were able to get. Yeah, and, you know, I think that a lot of times people ask, well, you've got Meyer a few years away, and are you going to sign... Bogart's long-term or where story going to be and endeavors and how is it, are all the pieces going to fit and Meyer is probably four five years away from being a regular everyday shortstop which is the tough part about these things with baseball compared to other sports but um, you know definitely in a, in a lot of circles he was the the number one pick uh, in a lot of those mock drafts so ended up falling to four and worked out pretty well last year. Jake, what do you think? Would you put Cassis or, or Meyer as your number one prospect and anything to add on that? Yeah, I'd go with Matt. I mean, I, I think that just um, Cassis's proximity and what we've seen already is is going to take it for me. But I think that I agree with pretty much everything Matt said, that the, the upside of Marcelo Meyer is uh, definitely a little bit higher considering the position. So, yeah, I'm on the same page. All right, um, so I'm going to take Nick York, who probably is third from this list, but who knows, could end up being the number one prospect in the system at some point uh, just because of his near-elite hit tool at this point. And what a what a pick that was at the 17th pick in uh, the 2020 draft where a lot of folks had him in the second, third round potentially. And with a poor first month last year, um, it didn't look that great starting off in the season, but after that, he was just so good in low A. Um, ended up winning the batting title of the low A East division last year. I know they were broken up a little bit differently, hitting 323. Um, after that, he was called up to Greenville, and he hit 333 with a 978 OPS in his 21 games there after a 913 OPS at low A. So he was even better once he was called up there. Um, you know, early in the season, he was showing the gap power, but then down the stretch, York hit 11 home runs in 35 games. 11 of his 14 home runs were in the final 35 games of the season, a lot of that at high A. 
And some of those, you know, you would see some of the highlights and there were some tape measure shots in there. It seems like that power is starting to develop a little bit. You see some 50 grade power, um, which he wasn't getting uh, when he was first drafted. So, you know, he might be a little bit ahead of schedule with where Meyer is uh, at second base. But as we mentioned, so many moving pieces a few years away. And depending on which players are signed in the long term, you know, York could end up moving to a corner outfield spot or playing left field at Fenway if there there isn't a spot there at second base. So early in the season hasn't showed any power yet, but it's only been nine games. He's hitting 316 with a 409 OBP. So kind of picking up right where he left off there. So I don't know if either of you had anything to add uh, on York or if we should just move along to AAA. I don't know. I would just add real quickly on York, like like you said, Bob, I mean, he uh, doesn't have the cleanest defensive fit right now, but his bat could end up being the most advanced in the system by the end of the year. Like there's, there's an argument to be made that he already has the best hit tool in the system. I I don't know. Would you say he already has the best hit tool, Matt? Putting me on the spot. Um, I guess off the top of my head, um, if I thought about it a little bit more, maybe I would think that's crazy, but no, off the top of my head, I don't know if that means, um, what'd you say? Advanced hitter. I don't know if those are the same thing. Um, I kind of would put Casas ahead of him in that category just because of the approach. But, yeah, pure hit tool, off the top of my head, I can't think of who would be better. Yeah, I mean, I think you could argue for putting a 7 on his hit tool, honestly. That's how good it is. But the power is the question mark, right? And you've already talked about that, Bob. Like, the power is probably 40 or 50 right now. And if that takes a step forward, you're talking about an absolute monster. Yeah. Absolutely. And and to see him hit for power right after a promotion like that is when I kind of raised my eyebrows to say, okay, he took it to another level, both with his average and his slugging, um, and held his own right after a promotion, which was just impressive for a guy in his first year in the minor leagues. So, uh, And then seeing some 50 grades on his power. So I'm definitely excited about York. I agree with you there. Um, moving along to Triple A Worcester, some of the notable assignments, players that we'll see, let's say around the top thirty um, prospects in that in the Sox system. We got Tristan Cassis, who we already mentioned, first base, uh, outfielder Jaron Duran, uh, starting pitcher Brian Mata, who is on the IL recovering from Tommy John this season, um, starting pitcher Josh Winkowski, Jeter Downs, middle infielder, um, starting pitcher Connor Seabold, shortstop. And all around this year, player Ryan Fitzgerald and the two catchers who both made appearances, or at least uh, appearances on the roster this week, in Connor Wong and Ronaldo Hernandez. Um, Jake, we'll start with you regarding uh, Josh Winkowski. You know, he's he came over in the Benintendi trade before last season and has looked pretty good. And, you know, his stats weren't totally elite last year but showed a lot how do you see his future unfolding is it in the rotation bullpen both and uh, do you see any chance he could contribute at the big league club in 2022 yeah he's he's an interesting guy he's he's a guy whose stuff has ticked up over the last couple of seasons um he's a right-handed thrower 6'4 um you know pretty pretty steady performer but not a real standout performer in any 
certain pitch. And I think that that's what's challenging with looking at Josh Winkowski right now is because, like, the fastball is good, but it's not special, and the command kind of goes and comes with that pitch. The slider is probably his best secondary, or definitely is his best secondary, but I'm not sure how that pitch is really going to play up at the major league level at this point. So there's still kind of a lot that we have to see from him at AAA, and through two starts, he's definitely not dominating. He's through not thrown a two five inning starts um you know didn't allow many earned runs just two and one in those respective starts but not striking out a ton of guys so i think you'd like to see him miss more bats if he's going to stick in the rotation i could definitely see him making a spot start or something like that if if injuries start to pile up he is on the 40 man so that's you know that would be a lot easier um for him to be able to do that um but really i I have a feeling that Josh Winkowski is going to be kind of a low leverage bullpen arm, maybe like a multi-inning uh, bullpen guy. Um, probably not the exciting starting pitching prospect that we are all kind of longing for in this Red Sox system. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And he really hasn't been an elite strikeout pitcher at any level, um, you know, not much more than a K per inning. Uh, last year, he was around eight or nine, um, depending on the two levels that he was at. He did get a couple of starts in Worcester late in the season and, and pitched pretty well there. So I think that, that you make some, some good points there. Um, Matt, we saw Jaron Duran in the majors last year, and it wasn't a great first go around. And Obviously, that happens to a lot of players, but he's back down at AAA working on some things. Do you think the next go-around will, will be any better? Is that the fourth outfielder that the Red Sox are kind of missing this year with you know, Christian Arroyo playing out of position and some folks looking for a uh, free agent outfielder? Do you think that Durant can fill that role? Uh, well, I mean, I th- those are two kind of separate questions. As far as if it will get better, I mean, it can't. It, I don't think it can actually get any worse um so only one direction you can go so yeah i think it'll be better um i mean specifically with this red Sox roster i'm not sure duran is the ideal fourth outfielder just because it feels like they should probably have a righty rather than a lefty um that said i mean i'm still relatively high on duran probably not quite as high as i was coming into last season um strikeout issues were obviously concerning and that was something that people were pointing to as a potential issue even before he got to the majors um he made that adjustment with his hand placement before his at bats and uh really he struggled to get to velocity after that um the power was still there though so just the power speed combination is something that's just so hard to ignore from a prospect that i'm still pretty much in on it um i don't really think he's going to be maybe the all-star kind of player that I thought he was going to be at this time last year, but um, I think that speed is going to give him enough upside or, or enough of a floor, I should say, um, on the bases and in the field. And then Alex Cora was kind of talking with him in spring training this year, uh, trying to get him to use those legs a little more, maybe drop some bunts and just be more aggressive on the bases, be more of a game changer in that sense. So I hope that he takes that to heart. And it was great to see the power that he's shown the last couple of years, and I don't want that to go away, but also not to forget kind of how he got to this level and using that athleticism and kind of tapping into that hit tool a little bit. Um, So if he can find that happy medium, he's going to be a good player. And I think the most encouraging thing 
uh, for Durant's case is that he's made so many adjustments in his professional career. I mean, he coming out of college, his swing was all out of whack. The Red Sox worked with him to get his swing going, and he got um, he really burst onto the scene that first summer. And then um, during the pandemic, he added that muscle, made another adjustment to tap into the power, and that obviously played at least initially extremely well. So he's shown this ability time and again since turning pro to make adjustments on the fly. So that's the kind of player I'm going to bet on. Um, there are still some concerning things, but just his makeup and his ability to make adjustments is something to hang your hat on, at least. Yeah, and you could see it from game to game in his first call-up last year that that he was adjusting his hands and having them separated and, you know, making changes on the fly. And I think it'll be good to get some, some extended time, um, you know, to get one swing and, and not to sell out for power, as you said, which can be tough to do when you're in Worcester and the wind's blowing out to right and you're a left-handed hitter. Uh, it's easy to keep probably get in bad habits there. Yeah, that um, wind so. tunnel is tempting. <laughs> For sure. Um, so I was going to mention Ryan Fitzgerald, who is a little under the radar, but we were seeing in spring training, you know, as a 27, soon-to-be 28-year-old prospect, not someone that we've talked about a whole lot, but hit four home runs and 16 at-bats during spring training and raised some eyebrows there. Had nine RBIs, three walks, and three Ks in the in the spring training. So with Fitzgerald, it seems like they're trying a few things out. They've started him at five different positions in 2022. A couple of those games have been at first base, which I found interesting, even though he's primarily a shortstop. I mentioned Travis Shaw earlier. I think by the time that we post this I wonder whether he'll still be on the team because it seems he let a pop-up drop in his bat is slow he I don't think he has a hit yet this season it just seems like that experiment has run its course a little bit and I've wondered whether that might be a spot or even just to get a few at bats to Fitzgerald who is kind of selling out for power now he has a 39.5 percent K rate early in the season Historically, that's not a level. He's been more of a low 20% K guy. But obviously, trying to hit home runs and trying to do something different, and who can blame him as a 27-, 28-year-old prospect to, to try something different to try to make the league. But he's hitting 351, and he has four more home runs early in the season and an 811 slugging and an OPS over 1,200. So, um, you know, the, the walk and the K rates, a little bit different. Obviously, a different player, but... I was reading uh, Jeff Ponce on Baseball America, who had just mentioned how many hard-hit balls. He already had, in the first week, he had seven extra base hits and six balls that were hit at 130, uh, 103 miles per hour or higher. That combined with the versatility, I just think he's an interesting player uh, that they might give a shot in, you know, maybe in the next month or two, or perhaps if they don't think Cassis is ready, just somebody that can, can buy some time and maybe play a little bit of first base. Free Fitzy. I was I said that on the last podcast, Matt. I agree with you. You gotta get Fitzy up here. I don't understand what the weight is. What are we doing here? Do you think we just need well, a Fitzy? I, mean, I, I, I wouldn't go that far. I don't know. I don't know that they need him, but I, I think need he, him, I think he's a better option than ours. <laughs> this I this mean, bench is absolutely anemic. Yeah. There's I mean, the there is nothing Boston, on this I bench. Enough, I guess. Yeah. Hey, I'm not disagreeing with that. Yeah, they they need Fitzy up here right now. 
Do they have a buddies. Sully in the system? I see a Murph. Chris Murphy could be a yeah, Murph. They, they need Murph. We need a Sully. We need a Sully. I don't know why we don't, don't have a Sully. Do. I don't think they do. That's a good question. All right. Well, we'll try to yeah, push for that. <laughs> Get it done. Yep. Bloom. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, t- talking about Fitzy, um, I really do think that this guy should be up with the big club right now. You guys both mentioned two guys that probably don't belong on the roster um, over him at this point. And I know that the K rate is a little bit worrying, but you're, you're literally getting nothing out of Travis Shaw and you're getting nothing out of RAUs. So even if you have a guy who's going to come up and kind of sell out for power and defend decently at, at multiple positions, I mean, if he can make something happen, uh, some impact at bats, I think that that is... That's worth already more than what you you already have in RAUs and Shaw. I agree with, with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyone else at the AAA level that either of you wanted to hit on before we move to Portland? I mean, I just want to like peep the the slash line at Jaron Duran for a second right now. I don't know if you mentioned this when you were talking about him, but uh, three eighty nine, five twenty two, four forty four. So far, uh, with a 179 WRC plus, so and, he's, and he's in already, like a couple games though. Yeah, he's got 23 plate appearances, but he four missed steals some time already. on the COVID list. So yeah, the the stolen bases are nice. Him and uh, guy we're going to talk about maybe in Portland too. Uh, there's some expi- exciting speed, but yeah, I didn't mention anything about his line just because he's played like four games because uh, he missed that time with COVID. But he has played pretty well when he's been in. Yeah, I like it. All right. What about you, Matt? Any other AAA guys? Uh, I mean, I guess I can mention Durbin Feltman really quickly um, just because, you know, the bullpen, we're going to see a lot of guys coming up and down, and Feltman's probably the most exciting name uh, in Portland just in terms of name value. Um, obviously, when he was drafted, he was a guy that people were kind of expecting to show up in the majors maybe that late that year in 2018, if not the next season. Uh, mm-hmm. His career hasn't exactly gone how people have – Expected it. He's had some command issues. Um, I think he kind of flew under the radar a little bit last year, bouncing back. Um, not really a guy that you see as a feature closer at this point, but he's a. I think he's a good enough pitcher that he's going to carve out a little bit of a major league career as a um, decent middle reliever. I mean, I think of someone like Sawamura, who's not really exciting, but you need a couple of guys in those in your bullpen. So I think he could be that guy as soon as this year. So. Um, yeah, I think if people are still expecting him to be a future closer, they probably need to chill out a little bit. But if he's been totally written off by some people, uh, they should probably remember that name because I think he'll be up at some point this year. And they might have got lucky with Feltman because of the Rule 5 draft not happening this year. And, and that could have been yeah. a A arm, you know, that has a little more life in the last few months to his arm closer. Not quite what he was when he was drafted, but... He showed some signs in the second half, and I feel like he might have gotten plucked in the Rule 5 draft that, that didn't happen during the lockout. Yeah, he seems like an ideal Rule 5 candidate for sure. Yeah. Uh, I did want to mention Jeter Downs, who we talked about on the show a lot last year. You know, there was a a stretch that we were highlighting from July 13th to August 24th where Downs hit 088 with 59 strikeouts and 113 at-bats last year. And then after that, went out to the Arizona Fall League and – I think he hit three home runs right away, but then ended up just at 228. I know in a, a league where the pitching was pretty subpar in the fall league last year. 
Uh, you know, just to give an update on where he's at, he struck out 23 times in 48 at-bats to start this season. Um, obviously had a tough season last year after skipping a level entirely and going right to AAA, but was hoping to see a little better start out of Jeter down. Some of the reports that he's his timing and swing is just still out of whack, and obviously there's time to fix that, but was hoping to see a little better start from Downs this year at AAA. So we'll see where it goes from there. Um, all right, so moving to Double uh, A Portland, just some of the notable assignments there. There's a starting pitcher, Brian Bayo, starting pitcher, Jay Groom, starting pitcher, Brandon Walter, and starting pitcher, Chris Murphy. So obviously the Portland rotation is loaded, and we'll talk about a couple of those guys um, in middle infielder Christian Koss, uh, David Hamilton, also middle infielder, and then Frank German as well, who is a relief pitcher um, who has become a little bit more notable over the last year. So uh, starting with you, Matt, uh, Brandon Walter kind of started last season as just a, a nice story, and then it started getting real in the second half, and he was being talked about as maybe a fringe major league prospect, and all of a sudden he was arguably the pitcher of the year in the minor leagues last year. So he's 25 years old and entering double A, but what is the future with Walter? Do you see him as, uh, even at his age, a potential major league prospect? Oh, I mean, I don't think it's, yeah, I mean, I don't even think it's a question. I, Jake and I were talking a little bit before we started recording. I think he's the most interesting prospect in the system. Um, definitely. I don't think it's particularly close among pitchers. Um, just, I mean, last season was absolutely absurd. The former 26th round pick just came absolutely out of nowhere. Um, started in the bullpen in Salem and then made a couple of starts where he was just lights out. Got promoted to um, high A. Again, was totally lights out. ERA was 370, which is a little, I mean, I guess not great, but um, the peripherals are much better than that. He was, like, like Bob said, probably the best pitcher in the system last year. There was still some trepidation about really buying into him just because of the age. He was 24 years old in his or in his age 24 uh, season last year playing in leagues where, I mean, frankly, the top prospects in those leagues are typically at least a couple years younger than he was. So um, between that, the relatively small sample, especially in the middle of the season before um, he really kept piling on those starts and then the lack of prospect pedigree being 26th round pick it was understandable to not want to buy in but at this point I, I just don't know how you can't I, all the reports out of spring training are saying that this guy's stuff is uh, really exciting I mean the slider I think has taken a big jump he's got a really good change up he's got a big fastball that can get up to the mid 90s when he needs it from the left side too um, and he started his season just picking up exactly where he left off he hasn't allowed a run through two starts in 11 innings he's struck out over uh, a batter per inning 12 walks still hasn't or, sorry 12 strikeouts still hasn't walked anybody um only hit he's hit a batter but no walks um he's just doing everything you could ask for him i mean you could point to the age all you want but at a certain point you just gotta kind of get to throw your hands up he can only pitch against who he's being put up against and he is absolutely dominating anybody who's put in front of him so yeah i'm, I'm really excited about him and if he makes a couple more starts like this i might start thinking about him as the best best pitching prospect in the system which seems outrageous but again I mean, the, the numbers speak for themselves I think that with ages and rounds that 
people were drafted in in 2019 and 2020 that yeah you have to throw this stuff out the window everybody's a year older than the level that they should be at at least for the most part a bunch of crazy stuff happened in between that and <laughs> we don't know what they were doing and what kind of workouts were going on and what pitches they were working on and walter was somebody who came out the other side as just a completely different player that held 26th round pick i hadn't heard of him entering the season full disclosure and you're right the 370 era is misleading because he got bombed twice and was outstanding every other outing um once he got promoted to high a and was in the rotation long term you know as you said the peripherals walk per nine around two k per nine over 13 that's hard to beat it's outrageous 12 starts um so jake Brian Bayo, I mean, you know, it sounds like Brandon Walter, potentially the best pitcher in the organization. Would you take Bayo or Walter long term? Oh, give me Bayo. Um, and I love Walter. Um, and I agree with a lot of what Matt said there. But, you know, the fact that Bayo is 22 years old and uh, just a super duper athletic frame here, he's a little bit on the skinny side for a starter. He's 6'1, 170. Um, but in his two starts so far this spring, um, you know, he's, he's struck out 10 and then he struck out eight over five innings. Uh, and in the second start, he allowed, uh, two solo shots. That was the only damage against him and no runs at all in the first start. So the stuff here is just crazy. Um, the Red Sox, uh, stats account had a little, uh, picture like a little lineup here of of Bayo's delivery and Pedro's delivery and it was like eerily similar uh and and you know I looked at that and I was like okay don't get too excited because this kid's not going to be Pedro because no one is but like still if he can be anything close to that I mean he's got a couple of the traits that remind me of Pedro he's got the electric fastball he can crank that thing up to like 99 miles an hour uh, he sits in the high 90s. Um, he's got a really good changeup. I mean, definitely not even in the realm of Pedro, but it's a plus pitch. And then his slider is a pretty good pitch too. So, I mean, starter's repertoire there. I think the biggest question with him is whether or not his frame is going to allow him to you know, continue to be a starter. But I think that if it doesn't, he's a he's an impact reliever. So I would say that uh, Bayo has probably the highest ceiling and probably one of the better floors in terms of being an impact reliever. Because I think actually in this day and age, you know, having a, a late inning reliever who can go a couple of innings um, is is very impactful and, and almost more impactful than like the fifth starter profile. So um I really love the stuff. I'm going to be interested to see whether his his stuff can tick up even more, potentially with the breaking ball. I think that's the pitch that he needs maybe a little bit more work on. But yeah, as long as he stays healthy, uh, this would be my pick for the top pitching prospect in the system. And and I actually don't think it's that close. Um, I, I I put him in a different category. Yeah, I should, I yeah, should I be think- clear that I also think that Bayo is the better prospect. I just, I think Walter could potentially make it a conversation later in the season, but I just want to throw that out there before people tweet at me. Please don't tweet at me, ever, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
All right. In conclusion, do not ever tweet at this man. Um, <laughs> that's, that's absolutely right. Thank you. <laughs> Leave him alone. God. The man who is on Twitter with multiple accounts. Um, on Sunday, Bayo had 24 swinging strikes in five innings, which I found to be outrageous. Seems and good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'll work. I um, listed him in our roundtable as the prospect I was most interested in seeing kind of how things unfold this year. And you're right. It could go multiple directions, but I think they'll be positive either way. You know, worst case scenario, he could be a great closer or a great multi-inning reliever, um, but there's definitely upside for more. And to keep the theme at double A, you know, they've been winning and losing a lot of games 2-1, 2-1, 1-0, because it's all about the pitching staff there. And Jay Grome is there, who has really had a, a roller coaster ride and still is just 23 years old, incredibly, uh, after being drafted five, six years ago now. Um, and it seemed, if you asked me a year ago, that there was relief risk and 40-man risk uh, with Groom that I, I didn't know kind of what the long-term would hold because of how few innings he had thrown in his career between Tommy John and then missing the season in the pandemic. And there were three seasons that he threw a total of four innings and only had 66 in his career. Um, but he got through over 100 innings last year. And while his stats didn't look great, there was a lot of good signs, I thought. Um, you know, started with three pretty putrid starts to open the season, but then over his next 13, he only gave up more than three runs twice, and both of those were four. You know, he threw five or more innings in nine of those 13 starts and really just got on a roll and was able to get the call to double A, which surprised me a little bit because with the innings bump, I thought they might kind of take this as a positive and go from there. But he came up for three starts at double A at the end of the season. He had 26 strikeouts and 15 and two-thirds innings at double A, uh, had two great starts and one decent one. So... You know, I think the fact that he threw it ended up being 97 innings total, finished strong after all of that time off, I thought was a great sign. And now, um, you know, he is at double A, starting the season there. He doesn't still have the near elite curveball that he had before Tommy John surgery, but has a lot of good pitches. It still has a good fastball, good curveball, decent slider and changeup. Um, his control can be shaky at times, but when he's locked in, he can get you those 9, 10, 11 strikeout games and had quite a few of those last year. So I think it's a good sign um, that, that Groom pitched well there and has looked decent in his first three starts. I think he had one poor start out of those at the beginning of the year. So, um, you know, with Groom, just another name to go along with another one. You know, Chris Murphy, who's a, a fourth pitcher that's there. It's a really exciting staff at A, and it will be interesting to see how they progress throughout this year, and even if we might see one of these arms, if they're in a pinch, if if Bayo looks great and they need him for September call-up or something like that late in the season, it'll be interesting to see where where all of these arms go. Um, any other names or anything that either of you wanted to add at the at the double A level? I would just say Frank uh, German is a really interesting guy that I'm going to be watching for. I'm actually going to be up in Portland. Uh, as as you're listening to this now on Friday. And, um, you know, he's been used as a reliever this year. He's 24 years old. He was one of the guys that was acquired from uh, the Yankees um, in the Adam Adovino trade. Uh, so he was a prospect there. 
but he's uh, he's moved to a relief role, and so far this year at Portland, he's got five innings pitched in relief. One of those was a two-inning appearance. No walks, no earned runs, lots of strikeouts. Um, he's a fastball changeup guy mostly. Um, the the knock on him was kind of command issues. You know, the fastball, even though it's got good velo and pretty decent movement, it hasn't actually always been a pitch that he can uh, command and put it where he wants to, but, you know, the changeup's pretty good, and he seems to be missing a lot of bats, and the fastball's playing up a little bit more in relief, so um, I think he's a, he's an interesting guy. I would not be shocked if uh, he is in the Red Sox bullpen next season. Um, I don't think he'll probably factor in this year unless a lot of stuff goes wrong, but... You know, he does. He seems like a useful middle relief guy. I'm not gonna throw like any sort of back end stuff, but I think he could be like good Ryan Brazier. You know, like that type of player. Um, so sure. I don't know. He, he's an interesting right hander, um, and definitely, you know, a trademark bloom move. I think here and just kind of taking on that contract of Ottavino, getting an interesting prospect, and maybe. You've got a reliever for the future, so uh, very interesting guy. I like it. I got news, but, Jake. Uh, good Ryan Frazier is a back end guy. I don't, well, I don't see much of him anymore. Right. Good yeah. Ryan Frazier was a back end guy at least. Yeah, yeah. So, so maybe he has that potential, but I, I'm kind of thinking like sixth or seventh inning role, but no, like I, a reliable sixth or seventh inning. I think that's spot on. I actually think what there's a chance we see him this year. It's more likely than not that he won't be up in the majors, but I don't think it's impossible at all. I mean, relievers can move quickly. They get they catch fire. They can move. Yeah, no, that's very true. That's very true. And the ability that he has to go a couple innings, too, I think that's only plays to his favor. Yeah. One other name I wanted to mention was David Hamilton. Um, one of the picks that came over in the, what was it, the Hunter Renfro trade, right? with with yeah. Bradley and I think we'll talk about it, the other name shortly but this guy just runs at every level and I was reading that even in the COVID year he played in some indie league where he was 20 for 20 and then he stole 52 bases last year between high A and double A at 41 in 68 games at high A and then 11 in 33 games at double A um, you know good defense up the middle obviously excellent speed and uh, kind of a line drive hitter, but he's got eight steals in ten games already, and he's hitting three oh eight. And it just seems like every day that I'm looking at the box scores, he's got one or two hits and probably has a steal. Uh, so I think that's an an interesting name that seems to have maybe a backup type of player, but plays good enough defense up the middle that I think he has potentially a year or two down the line. Uh, you know, to maybe be a, a utility player on the team. Absolutely my favorite kind of player. Uh, just hits line drives, draws some walks, doesn't strike out, and just runs like crazy. He's got eight steals in the first ten games. Um, also got ejected. We're recording this Thursday night. Uh, also got ejected a couple of hours ago for being part of a major brawl. <laughs> um, so he's got that really? going for him. Uh, yeah, did you not see that video? Oh, man. Yeah, the no, fight in but... Sea Dogs. Uh, somebody was, I don't know who the pitcher was, but uh, yeah, they were chirping a little bit at Tyreek Reed, which is not something that I would suggest anyone do. And no. uh, Reed <laughs> that guy's dropped yoked. 
Yeah, Reed dropped him, and then the pitcher got up and just went after Hamilton for some reason, and I don't think Hamilton took it too kindly. But, uh, yeah, so he's got a little fight in him, too. We, we know that. That's great. That's the first thing I'll be doing in 20 <laughs> minutes is looking that video up. So, Matt, before you uh, mentioned that uh, Hamilton was your favorite type of player, I was about to say, Matt, this player is exactly your type no. of guy. As so, soon as uh, they made the trade, I was stoked. <laughs> Absolutely stoked. Yeah, I'm excited to see him. He's uh, he's really interesting. Do you guys think that if this team ends up in the playoffs, that he might be somebody who could be used as a as a you know a speed guy off the bench? Depends what Duran's doing. Yeah, who was that guy in Kansas City that has like four titles and ten Terrence career Gore. bats? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Terrence Score. score. Yeah. And uh, Quentin Berry too. Quentin Berry was on like five straight ALCS teams or something like that. He he wow. got signed like a week before the playoffs every year by like the best team just to have a base runner. The Red Sox had him. I forget what year they had him, but they did go for him one of those years. Yeah. Very interesting. Nice to have a speed guy in the system. Yeah. For sure. All right, going down to high A Greenville, um, some notable assignments there. Second baseman Nick York, we already talked about. Tyler McDonough, who plays all over the infield and also plays some outfield. Uh, Gilberto Jimenez, outfielder. Uh, outfielder Sedan Rafaela. Third base slash first base Alex Benellis. Shortstop Matthew Lugo. And uh, another notable starting pitcher that has had a good start in Chi Young Lu. Um, I can start off with Matthew Lugo. He was a, a second round pick in 2019. He'll turn 21 in May, and you know, on the surface, just hit 270 last year, four homers, 50 RBI. Not someone that completely jumped off the page, but you got to remember that these guys had a season off, and they're in the lower levels of the minors. And in his last 61 games, he hit 303 with a 383 on base percentage, and very good defensive player, great work ethic from all reports. And his defense was there all along, but it was just, will the offense pick up? And uh, early in the season, he is hitting 444 as he's uh, 20 for 45. Nine of those are extra base hits. He's got six doubles, two triples, and a home run. Um, you know, maybe more of a utility player, probably someone to lump in um, with Hamilton, who we were just talking about there. But just such a good start. And uh, I know a lot of the hitters in, in high A, ran into this because of some easier matchups and some easier ballparks at the beginning of the season, but just one home run. So I think that he he was hitting regardless of if there was a, a short porch or not um, and had seven out of eight multi-hit games to start the season. So Lugo was a name that I wanted to highlight um, at high A. Jake, Sedan Raffaella, he's stolen the show the first couple weeks of the season in a similar kind of going hand-in-hand hand with Lugo, and in some circles has passed a player that Matt is going to talk about shortly, which was unthinkable a year ago, in Hilberto Jimenez. And How much of this do you think is for real with, with Raffaella? Well, I will tell you that the batting line has me scratching my head because he's just never done anything remotely like this. Um, his slash line right now through... Uh, what is it, 53 plate appearances. So it's a small sample size, but not minuscule. Uh, 380, 415 with an 840 slug. And that's the thing that's really eye-opening. Right. The dude has six home runs and five doubles so far. Um, Rafael is not a big dude. 
He's like 5'8", 160 maybe. Um, he's, he's just a small guy, but apparently he's been putting a lot of power into his swing this year. I don't know what to make of it. Uh, what I do know is real about Rafaela is that uh, his defense is incredible. He has great instincts in the outfield. He can play all three positions. He's an elite fielder. Like He could come up to the major leagues and field effectively tomorrow. Um, but if his bat is really taking a jump, which, I mean, he's not he's not a 460 ISO guy. <laughs> I mean, no one is. I was going to um, say, who is? <laughs> it's like he's hitting like Babe Ruth right now. I don't know what to make of this. Um, but, I mean, if he can even maintain a little bit more of this hard contact, uh, th- all of a sudden, this this profile, I mean, you, he needs to be pushed into the top 10 uh, of this system, if not even higher than that, with the defensive floor. Um, so, if he hits just a little bit, uh, this is a guy to monitor. And I think that uh, this could be a really, really valuable player for the Red Sox and I think I'm most excited about this because, you know, as as you mentioned, the guy that Matt's going to talk about has actually taken a step back in his defense, and Rafael is just, he's so easy to watch play defense. Yeah, what do you think, Matt? Do you want to talk about Jimenez a little bit, and what are your thoughts on Rafaela so far as well? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll start with Rafaela because he's, I mean, he's been the talk of the system so far. Um, I mean, I think, obviously, like you said, nobody can hit for power sustainably what he's done so far. But I don't think it's like the idea of him hitting for power isn't that outrageous. Um, I obviously haven't seen him, but I'm assuming there's been some sort of adjustment with the swing. Cause he's always been able to hit the ball pretty hard. It's just been line drives. I mean, he had 20 doubles and nine triples last season. Um, so, I mean, he was going gap to gap and he was getting extra base hits, but he wasn't really uh, lifting that hard contact for home runs it seems it sure seems from the stats that he's doing that so far. So I mean, I don't think it's outrageous that he can be maybe like a 15, 20 home run guy. Um, whether or not he hits enough, I mean, there are some hit tool questions is another problem. I think he's probably still a super utility kind of player um, for a ceiling, but he's super exciting and like Jake said, I mean, he's got the floor with his defense and his speed and um, that power that he's tapping into is really exciting. Um, as far as Jimenez goes, I mean, I think he's, I don't know, I kind of feel like people are too down on him. Um, I, we've mentioned it a bunch of times, but it was just last season was kind of weird coming off uh, the missed season, and Jimenez was dealing with some nagging injuries off and on throughout the year, and he just never really quite got going. And even though it felt like a really down season, he, was, it, he wasn't bad. He was just okay. He wasn't great. I think a lot of people, myself included, uh, went into last season expecting Jimenez to be the guy in the system to take the big jump and sort of have the Nick York season, and um, it didn't happen. So I think people are reading that as like a bust, and that's d- definitely the long way, wrong way to read it. Um, he's another guy that uh, probably would have been among the most interesting Rule 5 uh, potential draft picks uh, this year, having not played above low A, but having the ceiling and sort of even the a little bit of the floor because he the defense it may have taken a step back but he still got the instincts and um i think he can still be a good defensive player i don't know that he probably would have probably wouldn't have gotten picked it's just hard to um it's just hard to keep a, a position player on the roster that long but i think he's a guy that teams would have thought about because like i said i mean i think people are still too down on him it's it's just about how much he can make hard contact i think he's gonna 
make contact. He's still adjusting a little bit to switch hitting, but I think he's going to put the ball in play. Last season when he put the ball in play, it was with a lot of weak contact, and that can't continue. Um, but, I mean, I he's only 21 years old. He had them this season. He's off to a pretty good start this season with the power. Um, I'd like to see him draw a few more walks as he gets older, but I'm not, I'm not giving up on him yet. I still think he's – I would probably still put him ahead of Rafaela. Ask me again in two months. I might have a different answer, but right now I'd probably hmm. stick with Jimenez. I kind of want to see him give up uh, switch hitting. What do you think about that? Uh, you know, to be honest, I am not close enough to the situation to have a strong opinion either way. Yeah, it's just his swing is so different from both sides of the plate, and uh, I'd like to see him focus on just one side. And we've seen what can happen with that when when players do make that decision. Um, we saw it last year with the uh, the Cedric guy Mullins. from Baltimore, uh, Cedric Mullins. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's there. The other thing that I've kind of heard about uh, Jimenez is just like some effort questions. So hopefully those things have been, you know, remedied and he has a big year because I agree with you, Matt. He's got a lot of potential. Yeah, that's interesting because before last season, it was the makeup that was like one of the things that so many people pointed to. So that's interesting. Who knows? Yes, yeah, Shelly made that point a lot last year that. You know, if it's not working out, if he's slapping from one side and and his eye isn't that great, and you know, at some point you got to give up one of those sides and, and focus on being a major league hitter from one side rather than being not a major league hitter at both. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I think it's it's interesting, as you said, Matt. Though he's still young and he could be a swing change away from breaking out you know and becoming that top prospect again so he didn't have a bad season he ended up if i remember correctly with a pretty decent batting average 306 you know yeah we want to see a few more walks but he hit 306 last year so you can build on that and it's probably not as grim as some places made it out to be i would i would agree with that um any other high a uh, greenville players of note for Either you, Jake, or Matt. Um, I think Chi Jung Lu is a guy who we should probably mention. Um, he's coming off a pretty awesome start. Uh, just a couple days ago, on April nineteenth, uh, he was one of the players that uh, the Red Sox. Well, I guess the player that the Red Sox brought over from Taiwan. Uh, he's a pitcher, pretty good fastball slider, uh, has a splitter as well. Um, but in his last start, he had uh, five innings pitched, no earned runs, one walk, and nine strikeouts. So very, very impressive start from him. Uh, he's got a power arm, pretty good stuff. Uh, I don't know a ton about Chi Jung Lu, but I was excited to see that. Matt, I know you wrote about him a little bit in the uh, minor league uh, lines. Yeah. I mean, is there anything else that we know about Chi Jung Lu at this point? I think he's... I'm surprised by how under the radar he is, um, to be honest. He was a relatively big money signing um, right after the 2019 season, which means that his first year in the system got wiped out because of COVID, and he didn't even really get that brief time of spring training before things got shut down because he was coming from Taiwan. Obviously, the whole COVID situation started in that part of the world. Um, so he was isolated basically right up until he had to go home and everything got shut down. So he 
never really got his career going when he was supposed to. He was a two-way player in Taiwan, a pretty exciting one. Um, he stuck to pitching. I think the stuff is interesting. He's still kind of raw. I'm not really sure if that command's ever going to get to a point where he can stick in the rotation, but I think he's a guy that should be able to move excitingly through the system, and maybe by the time he gets to double-A, triple-A, he makes a shift to the bullpen, but um, like I said, I'm, I'm surprised that even prospect people aren't talking a little bit more about him because the stuff is... The stuff will stand out. The, whether or not the command will play, I think, is a question. And I'm not saying he's a surefire major leaguer or anything, but I definitely think he's a guy that uh, should be monitored in the system. I'm glad you called out the kind of his transition to America and the pandemic happening because who knows what this gun was, but he was throwing like 102 allegedly when they first signed him, and they signed him for 750,000. So I think that they really had high expectations or higher expectations yeah. and then when he was thrown in the low 90s and didn't have great control in i don't know if it was the alt site or whatever was going on that year yeah i mean the guy had a weird year everybody did and it's starting to come back and he's topping out closer to mid 90s touching 97 98 at times so i agree i think that's a name to that, that they invested pretty heavily in and sure it took a year or so to to get back to where he needed to be but i think that's a good call out by both of you there because he's an interesting arm that has starting pitching experience and and could move up the system there i have a quick question for you both i know you've both been monitoring the system for a long time now do you feel like the bloom years so far what we've seen here in bloom's time that they're more willing to move guys from being starters to being relievers quicker than we saw with Dombrowski because if I remember Dombrowski was a little slow to act with taking guys that maybe didn't have enough of a starter's repertoire or whose stuff wasn't playing up and moving them to that role to see if they would be uh, successful I feel like I remember and I don't remember the name um, and I think there were a few but I think the last year or two of the Dombrowski era is really when that organizational shift came where they were starting to make that change more quickly and i think that might be a league-wide thing too um mm -hmm. but i think that was starting i think that's more of an organizational thing than even anything to do with dombrowski or bloom i think that's something that and i think it's smart i think they should do it more quickly to be honest i don't think like yeah. frank german last year for instance should i don't think he should have made one start i think it was clear immediately he was a reliever and they should have developed i wish they'd be a little more aggressive sometimes ryan zephyr john is another guy that i wish they would have been more aggressive with in that yeah. role but yeah i think that's probably started 2018 2019 somewhere in that range i think there's just more interesting arms right now yeah that's most it. of which are starters that it'll give them the opportunity to develop relievers like that to make that switch to say okay we've got three guys at triple a and four guys at double a and a couple others behind that and i mean we have a lot of people to talk about, you know, we, we've hit on most of them at this point, but this is a, a much, much better system than it was, especially with pitching a few years ago, and I think it gives the opportunity to do that, but um, I know what you're saying there too, too Matt, that I think it's a league-wide um, difference than there was maybe three or four years ago with that. Certainly a lot more depth at each one of these levels than uh, we had in like 20... 2019, 2019. 2019. Yeah, I think right. 2019 was like the... Uh, or maybe it was 2018. Whenever Michael Chavis was the clear number one prospect in the season. Oh, boy. Was the low point. 
Yeah, I mean, if you had a daily Red Sox podcast to do at that time, you'd probably <laughs> feel <laughs> the block, effects of that. Block that up. <laughs> Wrapping up at low A Salem, some of the notable assignments there are Marcel Meyer, shortstop, we already talked about, uh, Blaze Jordan, corner infielder, uh, starting pitcher Wilkelman Gonzalez, infielder Edinson Paulino, and middle infielder uh, Briner Banassi. And we'll throw in with that, Jake, someone you want to talk about. Is he at extended spring training? Miguel Blase as well. Probably will be in low A soon enough. Um, so we got the Just Blaze portion of the podcast. Matt, do you want to start with, <laughs> with Blaze Jordan? On to, uh, <laughs> recording in the week of 420. Thank you. Very important note. Um, yeah, so I, don't, I have no idea what to make of Blaze Jordan. Uh, at this point, I was not a fan of that draft pick. Um, I didn't mind the idea of going for York, even not knowing what he was going to turn into. Uh, but I didn't mind the idea of going under slot and then picking somebody um, with a little more upside. I didn't really love the idea of going for a power strikeout kind of guy. But I mean, when he played last year, he showed some exciting stuff and he showed uh, why he was able to get that over slot deal and why he was one of the most famous people in the draft from. Um, some of his YouTube clips from high school, but uh, it's been a weird start to the season for him. He has not been good at all. Um, the power just hasn't been there, but he's also not striking out. I, I don't know. It's just very confused, confusing. Um, I'm never super high on these kind of low-contact, high-power players, so I am probably lower on Jordan than some of the other prospect evaluators out there and i'm probably wrong because they're probably smarter than me but i don't know i just i need to see him do it for an extended period of time and even last season he was kind of dealing with injuries he only played in 28 games between the complex and a ball um i need to see him stay on the field i need to see him make contact and hit for power over a full season i think the ceiling is really high i just am not super optimistic that he's going to get there he did strike out 18.4% of the time in the in those 28 games between Florida Complex and, and Low A last year at yeah. 18 years old. So, Yeah, that's the know. other thing, the age is. He's <laughs> extremely young. He was, like, one of the right. youngest players in that draft class. Uh, I mean, some of this is just, um, in, in retrospect, I probably shouldn't have been the one to talk about plays, Jordan. Some of this is just bias. Um, I just, I'm not crazy about these kind of players. I usually tend to see the worst-case scenario playing out for them. But, I mean, if he if he can tap into, if he can even get to, like, a close-to-average hit tool, he's going to be a major league player, um, even if he's at first base. I mean, he plays some third base now, but he's probably going to end up as a first baseman. So, I mean, there's a path to him to be a really exciting player. I just get worried about those contact issues, even though they haven't showed up in pro ball yet. No, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think it's a it can be a scary profile, but I was encouraged by the lack of strikeouts, especially at that age. Um, but, yeah, definitely a, a slow start and something to keep an eye on this year. Um, Jake, Miguel Blaze, I don't have a creative question for you, so go nuts. <laughs> All right, I'll blaze my own trail here. Um, wow. Yeah, that was pretty good podcast, guys. <laughs> All right. I'll see you next week. <laughs> Uh, so Miguel Blaze is, is a guy I, I wanted to talk about just because um, he's probably the most interesting J2 signing that they've made uh, in some time. Um, he was signed, what was it, uh, 2021, um, and he was a pretty big money signing, a million and a half bucks, 
um, from the Red Sox, but he's a true five-tool potential type outfielder, and he's only 18 years old right now, 6'3", 170, right-handed bat, um, pretty good fielder, pretty athletic. He's kind of above average across the board in, in terms of everything, power, hit, run, field, um, throw. I mean, he's he's just he's a great ball of clay. Uh, and he's one of these guys that, uh, there were a lot of, there was a lot of chatter about, um, at spring training this year. Apparently he looked really good down there. So I think that if we're looking for one name, um, that when Casas graduates, when York graduates, when, you know, some of these top guys graduate, I think he could be up there with the top names in this system and maybe the, the next guy way down the line who could be uh, an impact player and maybe even a starter in the major leagues. So uh, just a name that I wanted to mention, he's not actually playing stateside right now at this point, but um, he's somebody who performed pretty well in the DSL last year as a 17-year-old and somebody to look for this season. I, I don't know a ton about him yet, but just... From what I see and what I've been hearing about him, he's a guy to keep an eye on, and I'm excited about him. I think he's top five in the system by the end of the year. I think that's a good call. I mean, everybody that's gotten eyes on him, which is none of us, has said that he's the real deal, and, you know, I'm he's probably other than, than Bayo. He would have been second on my list to say, I, I want to see w- what direction this goes because I've heard nothing but great things, but I haven't seen him play yet. I didn't realize Sox prospects already had him at number eight. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that was basically all from their spring training. Look at yeah. him too. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be very exciting to see what he does when he does come stateside. And if he can get a taste of, low a this year which i'm not sure he will but i think he'll probably get it at the end of the season yeah assuming he plays well or decently well at um on the complex i think he'll end the season in salem i think that'll probably be the plan yeah be good to see salem's ace pitcher wilkelman gonzalez um i thought it was notable that fangraphs had ranked gonzalez as their number four prospect in the system which was just a lot higher than i had seen on any other list but seems like has a really good arsenal and bulked up during the year shutdown, you know, when he was 17 on one end and now coming into the season, he just turned 20, um, has a fastball 93 to 95 that can touch 98, which seems to be a plus pitch. It sounds like his changeup is a plus pitch as well. Needs to find a breaking ball to go with it, slider or curve that is more in the 50 to 55 range, but has plenty of time to do that as he's just at low A. Um, but it sounds, you know, in by all accounts, that the off-speed stuff is with movement and that the, the spin rates are good and he throws hard. So you can't ask for more than that in a profile, especially for a kid that was 19, pitching as well as he did last year. Um, he had 11.8K per nine in his seven starts in the complex league last year, but more importantly, he only walked two batters per nine. Um, that bumped up a little bit at Salem to four four per nine but just in a couple of starts but his era was 153 at salem as well and he hasn't disappointed early this year he's had 
two outings, one of two innings, one of five innings, which they'll probably alternate outings like that throughout the year to, to keep his innings in check. But the two inning was innings. for what for what it's worth. The two inning was a rain out or rain or yeah suspended there you game. Go. So that's thank why you, went Matt. Well, he struck out twelve in those seven innings, so including in a rain shortened outing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I like everything that I've heard, and I'm gonna have to catch some some low A games this year to see Gonzalez pitch, especially as I mentioned, when I saw him at four on the fan graphs list, that was eye opening. Um anything else that I have forgot or that we want to add or any players throughout the system, Matt or Jake, that, that you'd like to add today? Uh I don't think so. I think we hit on most of the big ones. Yeah, I would agree. I, I would just throw out like uh one more name that we didn't really mention um well we mentioned him a little bit but i think chris murphy's interesting he's a guy who's at portland right now who uh i'm excited to see how he develops this year um but just overall like looking at the system from a a high level this is the best it's been since like the years that uh devers was in the system probably so what are we talking about? That's like 2017. That's, you know, that's about as, I think it's as good as it's been since 2017. What do you think, Matt? Uh, Jake, I wish you had told me you were going to bring this up. I did a whole thing about this over the off season and it's going to take me too long to find. Um, I think they were, they're a little bit below that. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is the best it's been. Probably since that time, I don't think they're that close to when they were like really at their heyday. But um, it's exciting, and they've got guys pretty much at every level. I mean, we just went over every level, so um, it should only keep getting better from here. I mean, they've for all I may have some issues with some of the things they do team building wise, but the farm system is certainly trending up, and they deserve all the credit for that. I think it allows them to make trades over the next three months as well. You know, you saw that with Aldo Ramirez last year yeah good point was a name that i loved and was really looking forward to see him but then when he got traded and then when i sat down and looked at the farm this year as they added benellis and hamilton and you know you mentioned german and you mentioned and then you got whitlock coming over last year they've done a lot of depth fringe moves and i think it will allow them to make trades in june and july um you know, maybe they send out two top 20 prospects in the same way that they brought two in in the Renfro trade. So I, I think it will allow them to do that more easily because they're, as we've seen so far, there very well could be some needs here in the, in the next couple of months. And they got something for everybody, too. I mean, they got all different positions. They got all different profiles. They got close to the majors, far away with upside. I mean, whatever an organization, yeah. whatever different organizations are looking for they should be able to meet the need yeah and on top of that they've got uh four picks in the top 100 in this upcoming draft so only going to add to that yeah. yeah all right well thank you both um you can find me on twitter at bob osgood 15 jake is on the red seat you can find him on twitter at dev jake and Matt's on the Over the Monster podcast, but if we learn anything today, it's to not tweet at Matt. Don't don't even think about it. You want to promote anything, Matt. Okay. All right. Thank you both. Uh, We will talk to you soon.